Welcome to Walking It Out, living the Bible in everyday real life. We know this as followers of Christ. We are here because we have this relationship with God through Christ Jesus with one another. We know that we have been set free. We know that we have been forgiven. We know that we have been made different, new creations in Christ Jesus and given a very specific call to be different, to live different. We've been given a mission, a great commission to go and do this. But what we're talking about over the course of this series is the fact that all too often... We don't live that out and we don't understand it. We get distracted. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. Apparently, they were going through a sermon series like this. Apparently, they were struggling with this very concept. And he reminded them in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 that just like Adam and Eve... And how the serpent used distraction and and used sin to separate them from a pure devotion with God in Christ Jesus. The same thing he is doing for us today. And, And what we begin to see as we live this out in our lives and we see in 2019 that it doesn't come in the form of a fruit. Sin doesn't come in the form of something that's plucked off of a tree. But it it does show up in distraction. It does show up in disobedience. It does show up as sin. All too often, it's not so much a fruit, but it is worry, like we talked about last week. Anxiety. Fear. Anger. Laziness. We're talking about this morning, I think so many times the enemy will use bitterness. Or maybe we word it a different way, unforgiveness to to focus all of our attention, to to harness all of our attention and and to lock it up and to to lock it up in the prison of unforgiveness and it consumes us, it consumes our thoughts, it consumes our affections, it consumes our attention so much so that we don't have any room left for Jesus. And it begins to direct our actions and begins to direct our thoughts, bitterness. Could have done a longer series than four weeks but I I've just looked at my own life. I looked at those around me and, and found those four kind of tools, I believe, of the enemy, the, the tools that are just prevalent in our own lives to pull us away. And, and bitterness, unforgiveness was one of those. I began to think about what is the definition when we say bitterness, what do we mean? If you have your, your notes, I would encourage you to write this down. I, I think I just, I found a really good definition. I think that applies. Bitterness is resentful cynicism that results in an intense antagonism or hostility toward other people. You know, I've been thinking about it this way in case your vocabulary is like mine and you're thinking, hmm, what does that mean? Well, let's put it in an adjective form. Bitterness means it's like, it's like a sharp arrow or, or or something that is very pungent or bitter to the taste. It's disagreeable. It's poisonous. It's venomous. When we think of something that's bitter, I think of a lemon. I think of pulling something out of the fridge that has gone bad and you drink it. It is, it's nasty to the taste. So when you think of it in that figurative sense, bitterness refers to this mental or emotional state that corrodes, that's poisonous, that infests and infects and it eats away at us from the inside out. We know this in our lives. 
We know that this, when it gets a hold of our emotions, maybe it's spurned, started by some anger or by some rejection, or we'll talk about whatever it is that, that creates this root of bitterness in our life, but when it takes over, it begins to poison us. It begins to rule our heart in such a way that we can't help but begin to act out of the bitterness. It has taken such a root in our lives in such an eternal way that, that it begins to break out of that and affect our actions. And it, it leads to other sins. Bitterness, maybe against God or against somebody else, leads us to, to then begin to act and do things that are slanderous or vengeful. It begins to call us to be people who are quarreling and fighters and angry and allows us to be at a place where we are unforgiving of other people. And these things are clear sin. We find ourselves in these places. Think about the story of Naomi in the book of Ruth. Even in this first year and a half here, I so much wanted to preach through this book. I just haven't felt a release from God yet. I, I love the book of Ruth. It's the book of Ruth, but really it's the story of, of Naomi. They have left Bethlehem, this family, her and Elimelech, her husband, and, and two sons. They've left Bethlehem because of a word of a famine. They've made their way to Moab. And while they're there in, in this area of Moab, bad things happen. Tragic things happen. And her husband dies. Moments like that can be used as a tool of the enemy to create anger, bitterness, even toward God. But it doesn't stop there for Naomi. I mean, uh, here she is with her two sons and she's thinking, well, maybe I can just hold on to family. I can, I can hold on to the hope of just maybe living through my two children, my two sons, McClown and Killian. And, and, but then 10 years later, it says in the book of Ruth that they die. Even after they had married, what a joyous thing. It's like a roller coaster ride for Naomi. Her husband dies and her two sons she's holding on to, they marry Orpah and Ruth. Maybe I get excitement about grandkids and family and then those two sons pass away. I mean, there's so much in the book of Ruth that I would love to preach through, but, but what comes to my mind as I think about bitterness is I think about after those two sons had passed away, Naomi makes her way back to Bethlehem. And here's the interesting thing is she makes her way back into Bethlehem I imagine people started coming up to her. They recognized her. They were glad to see her back home. And, and it would have been like them coming to her. And they, they see her coming in through the city gates. And they're like, hey, Naomi, we've missed you. So good to see you. And she says, stop. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. She says, that's not my name anymore. My name is Mara, which means bitter. Think about being so angry, so bitter that you want to go file paperwork to change your name to that. You want people to identify you with your bitterness. You're that angry. I think about that and I would think none of us would say I've never been that way that seems crazy before we want to belittle Naomi and say that's just I, I would never do that I wouldn't want that to be my name I think we do that at times in our life and if not with our whole lives oftentimes 
While we may not set out for that to be the case, I think so many of us, because of tragic things, because of injustice, because of rejection, because of sin, because of our own actions, we don't set out to be identified by bitterness. We don't set out to say, I want to be identified by this. I want this to inundate my life, but it happens whether we like it or not. It's a curse. Man, I think about the book of Numbers. The bitter drink of the curse in Numbers 5. You, you, know, you had this very obscure passage of Scripture that when a man felt like maybe his wife had committed adultery and he was jealous, he would, in a very short, surmised way here, he would take her to the tabernacle and they would offer a jealousy offering, a grain offering, and then a priest would grab a cup of water and some dust from the floor of the tabernacle and mix it in the water and then make her drink it. If she had really done this thing, then there would be a curse real pain that would come upon her this bitter curse the bitter water that brings curse and I think this is the image that we begin to see with bitterness you see this happens in 2019 you may, maybe you're a person who's just barely making it paycheck to paycheck it, you know I, I just saw the stats this week that some 90% of our country they're living paycheck to paycheck they have no savings and, and they're barely making it through and you have fathers who are worrying about how to take care of their family and they're, they're looking around at other people that are thriving and then out of nowhere for seemingly no sense they're giving everything they've been given they are giving all of their time working as hard as they can and yet they've been let go and they've been fired and they've been laid off and it's more than just a pressing situation it's something that causes them to say I don't understand and I'm angry I'm angry at God I'm angry at my boss I'm angry at my co-worker I'm angry at everybody else who's in a different situation than me because I've been treated poorly to see someone who, who maybe all things are going good finances are good their marriage is going good they finally have made it past some other obstacles and all of a sudden a doctor looks at them in their face and says that you have a polyp in your intestines or you have cancer You begin to think, I don't understand that. That's not fair. Maybe you lost a loved one. You lost a, a wife or a, a parent or a child unexpectedly. Every time you come and you see people sitting in church that have their loved ones, it creates bitterness. Maybe you've been left Maybe you looked at somebody on the planet and you made vows to them. And you kept them. And they did not. And every time you think about that, you can't help but think they didn't love you enough to, to follow through with what they said and it creates bitterness. We do this with much smaller things. We let much smaller things than that create bitterness. We're no different than Naomi. We... We get upset and get bitter about the fact that we paid $4.99 for Wi-Fi on our flight and we didn't get it. We're bitter for the rest of the week. I'm mad about that. Thinking 10 years ago, we didn't even know what Wi-Fi was. We're mad because it doesn't work on the airplane, but we get bitter. We get mad because we ordered something on Amazon. It didn't come in the day we ordered it. This happened to me yesterday. It's fresh on my mind. I ordered something for an illustration this morning and it did not come in on time. 
somebody took our parking spot and we and even in a moment maybe it doesn't last the rest of our lives but we're so bitter and angry over something so small we will follow them into the store or write a note on their car because we've been done wrong and what we're talking about this morning is that we find ourselves in these moments where we decide we decide in our hurt whether it's big or small that you know what something didn't go the way I expected it and in my anger toward a person or even in my anger on big things toward God I'm never going to let that go is the point I've been done wrong and I'm going to punish someone for this this is what we're talking about this morning and in that is this little margin when we begin to let that happen in that little margin where that thought creeps into our mind there's the little space in the margin where the enemy says I can use this I can use that to distract I can use that bitterness I can use that anger I can use that unforgiveness I can use that that's a crack in the door let me weave in there because I can separate them from following Jesus closely this is why we need to address this this morning. If we're going to be who God's called us to be, if we're going to live that out here on this side of heaven, if we are going to do what he's called us to do and fulfill the mission, we need to understand how the enemy works. We need to put these things aside, not just so that we can be who he's called us to be and do the things he's called us to do, but because it, it robs us of the things that God has promised us. Bitterness robs us of this abundant life that we read about in the Greek, the Zoe life. It robs us of this joy that we have in Christ. It robs us of this peace that we should have. This is why we ought to talk about it. And so I begin to think about this in my own life. I begin to go back in the Rolodex of times where I, I have faced this in my own life and I begin to ask a simple question. If we're going to make progress in this, if we're going to make progress to be able to somehow unsubscribe from these things that ought not to be a part of our life, if we're going to unsubscribe from worry, we're going to unsubscribe from bitterness we need to understand where that comes from we got to figure out where the root of that bitterness comes from and we need to address that and I begin to ask the question and I want to want to look at this for the rest of our time this morning why do we do this why do we let bitterness in and infest and take over we know with our brains as believers we know as people of the word that this is not how we should be mentally this isn't the problem I mean I'll read it for you Ephesians 4 verses 31 through 35 Paul tells these believers in this area here around Ephesus he says specifically let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you we can't get any more simple than that along with all kinds of malice be kind to one another, verse 32 says. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then I just want to really draw attention on how verse 32 ends. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And this is the thesis for what we're talking about. What he's saying in verse 32 of chapter 4 of Ephesians is this is not how we should be. If we are inundated with bitterness, we shouldn't be inundated with it. It ought not have a place and a characteristic in our life because we're supposed to put that along with anger and unforgiveness and everything. Put it away. Package it up and throw it out is what Paul says. And we ought to be tenderhearted. We ought to be forgiving because we have experienced this. God has shown us what this looks like in Christ Jesus. Jesus said it, Matthew 5, 43 through 45. Jesus says this, I know this is not what you've learned from the world. He says, you've heard it said that we should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, but this is not what we 
followers of the way Christians should be. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Clearly, if we, we're people who are being distracted from a pure devotion in Christ Jesus because of worry, because of bitterness, we are not doing what we should be doing. This ought not be happening in our lives. And not only do we just simply overlook, these aren't the only passages that talk about this, we don't just simply overlook that. I think because we get so distracted and because our emotions are so strong and so real, we will even go back and read these verses and recoil with anger when we read them. It's not even a matter of ignorance. We will go back and read Matthew 5 and listen to Jesus' words and say, oh, I hate that he said that. Love my enemies and you, you begin to fill in the blank with a real person's name and it makes you angry and bitter inside and these are the words you know better than that. So it doesn't come from our brains. Where does it come from? What is the problem here? Why do we struggle with these verses? Why do we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness? I really think there are two big reasons amongst a bunch of reasons. Number one, and I want you to understand this, because of what that little phrase at the end of verse 32 in Ephesians 4 said, I think we miss, the reason why we can't forgive one another is because we forget that God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. We believe in ourselves and not in the cross. The reason why I get inundated with bitterness is because not only I have been distracted from focusing on Christ, but when I'm distracted from focusing on Christ, it really only leaves one other person for me to focus on. It's one or the other. It's what John the Baptist said. Less of me, more of him. These are the two options. The less I focus on Christ, then the more I focus on bread. The more I focus on Christ, the less I focus on me. And and you know what's good about that is when I've been done wrong, I'm not focused on me. I'm not as focused on that. He said that we would have the ability, Paul said, to be, be able to forgive one another as Christ forgave you. We live in a world that preaches something very different than that. We live in a world that preaches self exceptionalism. We live in a world with every message. We even live in a world where, where pastors preach that kind of a message. That we are, all of us, exceptional. We ought to work to be our best selves. And love ourselves. Self-help is the, just the term of the day. Everybody's something. You go to a softball park and watch T-ball. Everybody's kid is going to be an all-star in the major leagues. You talk to our teachers who have to have parent-teacher conferences. Nobody's kid does anything wrong. Never. They're perfect little angels. I got parents laughing over here. <laughs> Read you a quote from a, from a pastor and his, and his wife in the last five years. Look at this church and said this. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves. Because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. Really? 
You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen? Boy, that's subtle, but that is just dead wrong. Sorry. Let me tell you something. It's, it's subtle because I know this. When I'm most happy with him, it's because I have glorified him. God's most happy with me when I am doing what I've been created to do, which is bring glory to him. God's not most happy with me when I bring glory to me. That's ridiculous. When I bring glory to me, let me tell you what the product is. Sin. And he is disgusted by that. This life is not about me my body is not about me my money is not about me they are not to be used to make me happy they are be to be used to glorify my father in heaven it's what Paul said whether by life or death it is for his glory it's not about me now the irony is that when I get that I will be happy it's how Paul could say that I'm content whether I have money or no money whether I'm sick or healthy because you know what it's not about me it's about him it's not about having our best life now it's not about loving yourself I think of something so different than that I read scripture in Luke chapter 9 that says Jesus looked at the men and says if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself it's not about loving myself. I think about Paul when he was talking to Timothy in the verses. He said, in the end times, you know what the problem will be? People will be lovers of money. People will be lovers of greed. They will be lovers of themselves. We live in a world that says everybody is exceptional. Everybody is something everybody ought to focus on themselves me myself I and it's about what I want it's about making me happy and it doesn't matter who I have to step on in order to get what I want and yet I see a different scripture I see a scripture and a command if I see the word love 75% of the time if not more I see the command from Jesus that always the word following that is not love myself it is love others others it's like that great speech given by the president of the Salvation Army. He got up in their national convention and he gave a one-word speech. He's supposed to be telling them what the Salvation Army is all about and reminding them of the vision. And he stood up and he said, here's the, the speech, others. And he went and sat down. This is what the world wants to teach us is the gospel. We are taught that we are exceptional. There's me and then there's everyone else and it shows up in just little small areas of our life. It's the reason why we will get frustrated driving because we have to get somewhere else. All these other people need to get out of my way. Do they not know I'm going to be late for work? It's okay for me to break the speed limit because I have to get somewhere. It's a small thing and we laugh, but it's true. I can't let them in. I got to get to work. I don't know where they're going. I hadn't thought about them. They may be trying to go to work too. It's like people that we know we have in our lives who, who pride themselves on being people who speak harshly with other people. You ever have that person? They might be saying the truth, but they're, they're angry, they're harsh, they just cut right to the truth, and they're like, hey, I'm just, that's me, that's the way I function. Deal with it. And you're like, well, that's all good, that might be the way you function, but that's not the way I function. I've had to learn that in marriage. I can't look at my wife and be like, well, that's the way I talk. She'd be like, hmm... 
we're going to work on that one. People that drink and drive, I, th- I think this is their thing. They somehow think that, that the effects of alcohol for them won't apply. I can somehow do this and it won't apply to me. I can handle this and drive it. People that don't come to church, I- I've heard this excuse from people who are like, I, I don't want to meet regularly, as Hebrews said, because you know what, I-, I don't need the church. I don't need confession, I don't need encouragement, I don't need fellowship. I don't need a small group, I already know everything that's already going to be taught, I don't need that. I can handle my sin on my own, I can handle this all on my own, I don't need it. When we live in disobedience to the word, almost always what lies at the heart of it is the idea that we're better than others and we are somehow better than what God has designed and we know better than what he knows. And what we're encouraged this morning and what we're encouraged from scripture is that we ought not buy that lie of the enemy. It will separate us from pure devotion in Christ Jesus. In order for us to forgive like Scripture says we need to forgive, we need to remind ourselves and preach the gospel to ourselves every day. How did God forgive us? If I am losing sight, if I, if I have unforgiveness in my heart, I will not forgive my enemy, I will not forgive my spouse, I will not forgive people that love me. If that's something that has taken root in my life, let me just tell you something, you need to ask a question. You have lost sight of how you have been forgiven by God in Christ Jesus. And you need to remind yourself of that think about the gospel God designed creation he put it together where Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the evening with God it was perfect they were provided for they had everything that they needed they had close walk with the father and they made a decision to ruin it all they said we know that you love us we know that you've given us your commands we know that you've told us what not to do we decide we know better and we want what we want we're going to spit in your face We're going to walk away from you. For anybody in the room that's ever had any somebody walk away from them and you remember that bitterness. It's just like Jeremiah said. Man looked at God and said, we signed the divorce covenant, we're not keeping our vows. And he didn't even have any culpability. It wasn't like we could even use the excuse, well, they are not perfect. No, perfect. Perfectly kept their vows did not deserve anything and instead of looking at us and saying you go to hell he didn't just sweep it under the rug even and say let's just go back and start over no he says you know what you deserve hell you deserve death you deserve what you get for this he took his own perfect unique begotten son and offered him up for sacrifice for us. The wrath that we deserved from the Father, the anger that we deserved, he put it on his own son. There's no better picture for forgiveness than that. It's ridiculous, scandalous. Treated us better than we deserve and here's what we understand is that truly forgiven people ought to be the kinds of people who forgive other people we are all beggars before the cross standing at the gates of the city begging for food with our fellow beggars who are we to finally get a loaf of bread thrown our way and then not share it with our fellow beggars that would be disgusting and ridiculous 
God treated us better than we deserve. He, he lavished upon us his grace and mercy. We should be people who do that in turn for others. And when we forget the gospel, we become prideful. And when we become prideful, we stay bitter. Let me ask you a couple questions so you can maybe define whether you're there. When you hear somebody ask you the question, do you love the thought that everything in all of creation, including you, exists to make God look glorious, does that bother you? Does it bother you that the reason you've been created is not for your glory and not for your happiness, but ultimately for God's glory? Here's the second thing I want to end on this. Just one more thing. I think if we're asking the question, why do we do this? Number one, yes, I think we lose sight of the gospel. But also I think people will hold on to bitterness and, and unforgiveness because we fear that justice will not be served. And we, we have been wronged in life. When somebody puts us in a situation where we have not had our expectations met, where something has honestly offended us and punished us and abandoned us, we have this need, we have this innate sense of justice that kicks in and says they need to be punished. We want them to pay. We want the score to be settled. We want them to hurt like we've hurt and we want to take it into our hands and make that happen. We want that to be our job. Well, here's what I want to do very quickly. I just want to show you some promises from Scripture that ought to convict us and they ought to encourage us this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 6-8, through 8, it'll be on our screen, says this. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We begin to see something here, a promise that for all of us would look at this in this great struggle between the enemy and the church is that we have an enemy who is inflicting all sorts of things on the church, even those things we don't inflict on ourselves. And it is an idea, vengeance is an idea for God, but but it is his job not ours it's an incredible promise here he says i am going to promise you that it will be just to repay i will do it i consider it just to repay the affliction of those who afflict you so for everybody in the room who has been afflicted he says i will come at the second coming it will all be made right but he says this even clearer in romans 12 verse 19 he says beloved that's us followers never avenge yourselves Here's the phrase, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible that speaks to me this morning. But leave it. That word there also means give it a, the proper place. Leave it to the wrath of God for it is written. He makes us a promise. Vengeance is mine. Here's a promise. I will repay, says the Lord. It will happen. It's my job, not yours. Take it and give it its right place. If you're holding on to it, take it, give it to me. It's my job. Finally, he says in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, look at this, same thing Ephesians 4 says, for, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Take the example from Jesus so that you might follow in his steps and not be distracted. He says this in verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
Maybe we walk in bitterness because there's so much a part of us that says justice needs to occur. People need to pay for what they've done. And we walk away from the gospel when we forget about Christ and we focus on ourselves. Then we not only forget of why it is that we're called to forgive and not be people characterized by bitterness, but then it causes us to say, you know what, I'm gonna take on jobs that are not my jobs. And here's the irony of what happens. And I wanna show you this because somebody showed me this so many years ago and it has just stuck with me forever. I ordered some of these on Amazon. They didn't come in, so I had to make my own. Here's the irony of, of what we're seeing in Scripture is that, you know what, when, we, when we've been done wrong, and it might be real wrong, somebody has walked away from us, had a spouse who cheated on me, or I've gotten cancer, things aren't fair in life. I think the enemy, here's what he wants us to do. He wants us to focus on this. He wants us to focus on the emotion. He wants us to focus on the bitterness. He wants to focus on all these things that we've just talked about. And he wants us to shackle ourselves to it. He wants us to be shackled and imprisoned by, by bitterness. And here's the thing is it doesn't work. It doesn't even make sense. We believe this lie that when somebody does me wrong that you know what I'm going to do? Because I need for them to suffer, I will never. You hear these words come out of people's mouths. I will never forgive that person. And they're saying those things because they don't want to let that person off the hook. Because they want them to pay. And they think that by doing that, they're putting the shackles on this other person. But what they end up doing is this. They're not shackling anybody up except for themselves every time for the rest of their life that they think about that person they're reminded of that person all they can think about is bitterness and anger and being upset the only person that's getting shackled in this and is weighed down with this weight of unforgiveness is the irony and, and the, the working out of this is yourself can't focus on Christ I'm weighed down with just focusing on this being done wrong I can't do what he called me to do because I'm too weighed down. I've, I've strapped on five different shackles with five different people and, and situations. Not only will I not forgive people, I won't forgive situations. What do we do this morning? Let me end with this. Let me tell you, for anybody in the room who's thinking, this is me. It's me. I'm Maybe you sit here and you're like, I'm, ti I'm tired of this, Brad. I'm tired of lugging this around. I got a hundred of these. They're draped all over me. How do, what do I do? Here's what I would say. Number one, you need to go back to the word. You need to take your perspective and you need to look at something else. Number one, you need to take your eyes off of this, number one. Put it on the author and perfecter of your faith. You need to look at his word and reorient your perspective. You need to spend time in prayer. You, need to, you do need to surround yourself with other believers who can help you keep your chin up. Focus on those things we ought to focus on. And then I think of 1 Peter 5, 7 that says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And here's what we do. We need to. And we'll have an opportunity to begin to do that this morning is to say, you know what, I, I need to just do this. I need to come to the altar even the altar of my life metaphorically. And I, I just, it's time to take them off, church. And just give them their proper place. Trust God with it. He's a just God. He's going to deal with it. Don't shackle yourself to it. Take them off. 
Place them at the altar and say, God, it's yours. And breathe. Have peace. Maybe today you come to the altar. Maybe today going to the altar means you need to step out in the foyer. Make a phone call to somebody that you haven't talked to in 15 years. And give forgiveness. We forgive as Christ forgave us. They may not deserve it. Give it. Free yourself. Let the shackles go. God's on it. Let's trust Him.